can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy here with an episode that I've got another selfish one for myself because I want to know about 3D printing. So I've got two of my favorite 3D printers around. Jacob. Hello, hello. And Andreas. Thanks for having me back. No problem at all. So Andreas was on our Dougal Door episode, and, and that was a very critically acclaimed episode. So we're definitely happy to have him back. But Jacob, I haven't had you on the Green Dragon before. So can you do a bit of an introduction? I've been listening to the Green Dragon for years and years. So this is, you know, a daydream come true. I'm famous now that I've made it on. I've <laughs> um, been playing Middle Earth for uh, four or five years and been to heaps of tournaments. And I'm actually running a YouTube channel making Middle Earth content called Conquest Creations. Yes, you know, I've been starting to, to watch that a little bit, not just because I was on one or two of the, the videos, but because you've got some really good creative stuff. So creations, yes, that seems to be your main focus, isn't it? Just creating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And in the next couple of weeks, depending on when people are listening to this, I'll be starting a web store selling uh, initially bases and then we'll move into a full modular terrain line. So hopefully that goes well, but we'll see. Oh, fantastic. So that was Conquest Creations, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Yep. Is the web store going to be the same name or are you going to try and separate it? It will hopefully be the same name unless someone else has already taken it. In that case, it'll be some combination of Conquest and Creations with maybe a V in there. <laughs> I'm going to copyright all those names now. <laughs> <laughs> you have to maybe hold off the release of this episode until you've got the, the copyright and all that sort of stuff because I imagine now... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. So you two are on because you are the people who I know personally that have been doing the most 3D printing around our our scene. So Andreas, you're up in the Sydney scene. Jacob, you're nice and close to me in the Melbourne scene. And you guys are just providing lots and lots of stuff for the gamers around the area. So I'm going to be selfish and ask lots of questions because I have just got my first 3D printer ready to go, just out of the box, waiting for the resin very excited about it so i'm going to learn as much as i can from this episode and hopefully the listeners do too and make some decisions about whether this is something that's worth pursuing for them or not perfect okay so let's start with our first question the basics of 3d printing what is 3d printing andreas can you just tell me a little bit about just what is 3d printing and what happens like for the machine to create something from nothing okay yeah so for 3D printing, I suppose for, for listeners that don't know the concept at all, it's essentially the concept that you've got a piece of hardware that takes digitally created 3D files, typically done on a computer or even a tablet. And what it does is it, it builds that creation, that, that 3D sculpt, layer by layer. It's done typically in two formats, either done through a nozzle that extrudes, and that's, that's what we refer to as FDM printing mostly, or it's done with resin or, or a similar material, and it's done by curing the resin using UV. Um, so, yeah, th- those are the two main formats, and you can create anything that you can design. As long as you can fit on the build plate, basically it can be created. Oh, really cool. So the first one, the nozzle, does it heat it up or is it, how does it, how does it go from, I assume it's a liquid into a, a solid? So, so it actually, it actually comes in, a, in, in terms of uh, how it arrives, it comes in a spool. So it's actually solid to begin with. It goes through the nozzle that heats up, comes out as a, as a semi-liquid, not quite a bit, bit mushy. And then it solidifies as soon as it hits the surface that it's building upon. So it actually becomes quite firm quite quickly, depending on what time, type of material you're using. Uh, it can vary, but if you're using PLA, which is probably the most common form of material used for FDM printing, it's going to solidify quite quickly. Yep, and PLA is a, a plastic, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. Yep, okay. So 
you get there, you, you've got your build plate, your machine, you start it up. Obviously, you've got some sort of way to, to put a file into it and you just leave it and it prints it. Is it that simple or is there some complications along the way? Oh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> um, uh, I think Jacob will, will agree with me on this. There's, look, there's a fair there's a fair bit that goes into it. Um, it's not just as simple as load up a file and away you go. There's a lot of prep work and, and often a lot of cleanup work afterwards. But essentially, once it's on and you've done the prep work, you can you can leave the printer, whether it be resin or FDM, and it'll essentially work itself until completion. So the end product you've got, whether it's we'll go into the details a little bit more, but you've got something that that's solid, strong. I assume if you've done it all right and ready for for gaming, is that correct? In the terms of FDM, typically it's good to go as soon as it's off the print. In terms of resin printing, you do need some additional curing afterwards. So whether that's you've got a, a curing station with UV lamps, or whether it's just leaving out in the sun, it will need a little bit more cleanup, typically with alcohol, and then curing for a little while. Oh, okay. Is that that what you do as well, Jacob? Yeah, absolutely. The FDM one's super easy. You pop them off the plate and pull off the supports, which is sometimes a little bit work, but generally really easy. And then the resin one is a lot more messy and a bit more complicated. You really need to make sure those pieces are super clean and you can't just use water. You need to use um, something like a methylated spirits or um, isopropyl alcohol. The problem with that is then that isopropyl alcohol or whatever liquid you use is then waste that you can't just tip down the sink so you really need to make sure you deal with that properly so it's a bit more work and then as andre said i just leave mine out in the sun for a, you know, 10 minutes and that's good enough does it matter if there's not a lot of sun out so if it's an overcast day or anything like that does it make a difference or is do you have to wait till it's it's nice weather if it's overcast i'll just leave it out for you know an hour uh, but if it's super sunny then just a few minutes yeah you can get away with it in between if, even if it's not that much light so you don't want to get it inside, well, not inside. You want to be outside, but in an area where it's it's dry, but just just has a bit of bit of light in some way, and then it will will sort it out eventually. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a study. Um, a lot of light comes in in the morning. If I've done something overnight or late in the evening, I'll just clean it up and leave it on the windowsill. And in the morning, the sun hits it directly, and and typically that's good enough for me. And and for most people, if they can get any sort of direct sunlight, that should be fine for for everyone essentially. Okay, cool. Well, that, that's already I'm already learning something about it, so this is good. Something to to watch out for when I when I get started out. Okay, so uh, that's that's very much the basics. Uh, where do you get the files from for for printing it? There's a lot of good resources out there. My favorite one is a website called Cults 3D, and there's mm. just a whole bunch of free files. And there's a lot of things that you know they might be a Warhammer 40,000 model so they won't name it a space marine they might call it an intergalactic soldier so you need to be a bit tricky with your search terms to find the best things um but there's a lot of free stuff out there so there's websites that have the the files all ready to go do you have to do any work on those files or do you just put them straight into your your software and and then press print it depends on an FDM printer it's pretty easy generally you bring it in hit slice and it's done most of the time with a resin printer, it's quite a lot more work because you need to have very specific supports. Uh, so any model that you download, obviously there's going to be overhangs and those need to be supported. And there's a bit of an art to making sure your resin supports are correct. And most of the times you're having to add those completely manually. Okay, okay. So Andreas, if, is there a difference between like the size of the model and how much support it needs or the, the angle or anything like that? 
Oh, yes, vastly. Um, if you're referring to FDM, typically you want to print upright to minimize as many supports as possible. Obviously, it depends on what you're printing. Uh, but if you're using what we call zigzag or, or tree supports for FDM, they can be quite quite easy to remove typically, but sometimes they won't support the model as well. And you can get some, some uh, I, I suppose you can get some deformations or, or some failures at, on part of the model. Uh, yes, especially resin. The more the larger a model is, the more supports it typically needs. Uh, if you if you wish to minimize the number of supports you're using, you should really try and orient the model in such a way that that the least amount of surface is facing the build plate. But that can pose the problem that if you only have so much model facing the build plate and you only use a minimal amount of supports, sometimes the 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 model, whilst it's printing, it can pop off the build plate and get stuck to what we call the FEP film, which can pose a problem. It can damage your printer. It can obviously fail your print entirely, and it can cause all sorts of issues, essentially. Another way to um, have less supports is to cut your model into smaller pieces. So on models that have overhanging arms, I like to cut their arms off and print those separately. The only downside with that really is that you're looking at you increase your print times if you have to print in multiple prints or or sometimes it doesn't glue together so seamlessly and there's a lot more cleanup. It varies, but you can get nicer results if you split it up and it, sometimes it prints a bit better, like Jacob said. So does the printer have any problems of like when we're doing traditional moulding and that sort of stuff, you have to worry about like undercuts and things like that? Does the printer care about that or does it can it print print in the undercuts and things fine as long as they're properly supported? Typically, if you have enough supports and you've angled it in a, in a certain fashion, resin printing is pretty good at, at building layer upon layer and not missing the nooks and crannies. It, it very much depends on a couple of things aside from, from your prep work and what you're supporting, uh, how many layers you're printing, how thick those layers are, your curing time. There's a lot of different settings that go into how you print. But typically, yes, if you support something well, it typically prints quite well. I'll jump in here and I'll say... The opposite for FDM printing, generally the the side that is supported, so the bottom of the model, looks a bit ugly. Actually, I'll, I'll have to yeah backtrack. I agree with that. When it comes to FDM on the adverse side, it, it can it can look quite ugly depending on on your temperature of your of your nozzle, what you're printing with, and and what kind of overhang you're looking at. So yeah, look, Jacob is right. If you are FDM printing something and there is quite a severe overhang, even with supports, it can it can look a bit jarring or, or edgy and sometimes look like it's not it's not bonded together quite well. If you know that you've got a, a printer that's likely to do that, would you make sure that the, the side that was at the bottom is the, the part that's going on the, the table, I guess, so it's covered up? Is that the, the plan for that sort of model? Yeah, exactly. As best as you can. It's not always possible, but you try and make do because unfortunately the 3D files that are, that are out there for us to download and use, a lot of them aren't 3D print tested. They're just out there. And sometimes you just got to work with them and, and find the best way to print them. And what's the, the the time it's taking you to print something? So let's just say I've got something that's a, a like a, a Lord of the Rings model size. So how long will it take to print something like that on, I assume you'd print that on resin or maybe the FDM? I'm not quite sure. Jacob, do you want to take this one? Yeah, you'll do if you're doing models, you want to do them on a resin printer. And as long as they're not in a hugely extravagant pose, I, on my Photon, I'm generally getting them out in about three hours. But um, to make that shorter, I can print as many models fit on my build plate. So it's about six for me. I'll manage to squeeze in there. Um, and that takes the exact same amount of time that it does to print one model. Yeah, so just just touch it on that for people that don't know the difference between FDM and resin. FDM, the more volume you have on your build plate, 
it will take significantly longer to print or to extrude. Uh, in terms of resin, it builds in one layer, one at a time. So, so if you have, say, one model on there, it'll print layer by layer upwards in terms of its total height. If you print, say, six models on the same build plate, it'll still print layer at a time, but all at once. So if it's the same height, it'll do it in the same time, essentially. So you're looking at resin for smaller minis will print probably a little bit faster. Um, but if you're looking at terrain, yeah, definitely go for FDM. Okay, yeah, so that that's fair enough. I'm just curious as well. So I've got the FDM is from a nozzle, so that makes total sense that if there's more surface area, it takes longer to get to it. So I imagine the little robot arm is moving around and hitting every point. How does the, the resin printer print? I, I, I had a look at mine. I've got a, a glass bottom or something like that. Does it, does it like zap the bottom or what does it do to, to actually generate the, the model? So you'll notice that your resin printer has a, a screen there and that's essentially a phone screen. And each layer, it just shines a light in the exact shape of that layer of, from that phone screen onto the building plate. And the light from that reacts with the, the resin compound and that, that just hardens it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you're printing, say, uh, you know, one model, then it just shines a light for that one model. But if you're printing two, it just shines the light twice. So it's the same amount of time per layer. Okay, so I, I half finished the question. So about three hours on a resin printer for a, for a miniature. It doesn't matter how many you put on. You put on as many as fit on your plate. So if you've got a big plate, you can make an army quickly. If you've got a small plate, you can do a couple war bands or a, a little more, more of a war band. What about some terrain? So, Jacob, I know that I've seen your, say, your trees that you have that have the houses in them. How long would that take to print? Those are going to be very long prints. Uh, they can range from... Uh, you're looking at 18 hours, uh, some of them up to two and a half days. Okay. Oh, so, and does it, the printer just run that whole time? Do you leave it on and, and walk away from it? Or do you have to, like, do you have to pause and check it and tick off that it's okay and tell it to continue? I'll, I have it in a spare room and I'll just hit start and I'll make sure that it works for the first, you know, 10 minutes. I might just sit in the room doing something else. And as long as it all sticks and the first couple layers are down, I'm perfectly happy and I'll leave it. And, you know, I might check it here or there, but generally if it's made it through the past couple layers, I'm very confident that it's going to make it through the rest of the print. Okay. Is that the same with you, Andreas? You, do you watch it for 10 minutes and then walk away and do something else? Yeah, I have a nasty habit of being extremely paranoid. So uh, I'm, I'm sure most 3D printers will, will do the same, but I'll definitely stick around for the first couple of minutes. With FDM, if I, if I notice that everything's uh, quite adhesive and it's sticking to the plate quite well, I'll probably leave it for most of the time, maybe check in every couple of hours if I'm at home. In terms of resin, as long as I can hear the the thunk, it's a, a noise that you you notice when you know your resin's pulling off the film, that, that phone screen film, and going onto the bill plate. I'm quite happy with just, you know, noticing that for a minute and then leaving it to print the whole time. Okay. Uh, can you be in the room while it's printing? Is It doesn't leave out any sort of radiation or anything like that that will zap you while you're painting? Depends on the material you're using. In terms of radiation, I don't think there's there's any sort of substantial study that shows there's any danger in that sense. In terms of fumes and smells, that's when you can start to get a little bit iffy. A lot of resins do leave quite a permeating smell that sometimes can look. If you're exposed to it for quite quite some time, it can leave you feeling a little bit dizzy, or it's just not a pleasant smell in general. People react to resins in in different ways. And sometimes it can be quite unpleasant. But generally speaking, if you have a well-ventilated room and you're not in there for longer than, I say, you know, 20 minutes at a time, which coincides with how long it takes you typically to put on a good print, 
then you should be fine. And, and I find with FDM, it's not as smelly, a lot more, a lot noisier. I'll be working in my garage for eight hours at a time and I'll just have my resin printer running in the corner and not really notice it at all. So garage is, is okay. So it doesn't mind. It, like I know my garage gets pretty cold compared to the rest of the house because we don't have heating in there. Is that okay? It doesn't mind the, the cold temperature? Ooh, temperature, it, it actually plays a small factor. It depends on, on what you're printing with, but sometimes temperature can affect... Um, the, your curing times or, or how well resin will stick to the build plate versus the FEP film, small factors like that, it can make a difference, but it's it's not down to a science where you can tell exactly how, how much it will be affected. you just got to gauge it. And typically standard room temperature is your best bet, but it varies depending on what you're using again. I actually can't answer that because I've only ever had it in the garage, so that's all that I've known, and it works perfectly fine. Colder tends to be a little bit trickier sometimes. Okay. Oh, I've got lots of information about that. So the the garage, I'm I'm interested about that. So I'm going to probably, I've got a room at the moment, which I'm using as a a study. It's a a guest bedroom, essentially. One of my kids will get that when they're older. So I'm thinking maybe that's the best place to set up my printer at the moment because I can disappear from this room. It's the back of the house. I can close the door off and leave it going for, for hours and then come back and check later. Is that probably the best bet for me? Yeah, I would argue that spare room, it's perfectly viable depending on what printer you're using, but as long as you have good ventilation, um, you should be okay. The only issue I'd find with a spare room is you don't want too much natural light to come in because sometimes it can get messy in terms of curing resin. In terms of FDM, you should be totally fine. It can be a little bit loud, especially if you have the FDM printer on a, on a solid surface such as a table or quite a, quite a solid uh, shelf. So I would recommend, as long as you have the door shut or or it's on a, some sort of mat that dampens the noise a little bit, you should be okay overall. But I think the main issue, especially if you've got both kinds of printers or if you're especially using resin, is try to keep the smell out because it can permeate throughout the house if you leave the door open or, or you're printing for long periods of time, really. And something that I might add there is keep in mind the resin printer is actually quite messy. So you just want to have it on you know some kind of mat that's going to absorb any drips or drops of resin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you, you, look, you're not going to get too many stains if you drop a tiny bit of resin, but you want to tend to keep it away from carpet if you can, because you're also working with isopropyl alcohol or similar products that sometimes can have a bleaching effect um, on materials. Oh, okay. Well, I'm definitely going to have to set it up in the garage then because the spare room I've got is, is a carpeted one and we're going to use it as a kid's bedroom at some point in the future. I don't want little resin droplets all over the ground. And that sort of stuff. So that sounds like a that's good. I've got lots of information from that as well. And the, the garage is well ventilated. Actually, I feel kind of I feel I feel very misleading because Jay, neither Jacob or I haven't touched upon the fact that you're very much going to need a lot a lot of towel paper, some good gloves to work with the alcohol and resin because you don't want it touching your skin at all. It can be quite irritating or drying out. And and you also look ideally if you if you're very paranoid about the fumes or the smells you could wear a mask as well. I personally don't always, but I find that if you do, you're probably going to help your head, if you, especially if you're spending long periods of time in the same room, especially if it's a small room. I'm concerned about the, um, the fumes you, because I find maybe it's just because the garage um, ventilates it really well, but whenever I'm dealing with the resin, I like to have a pair of gloves on, and then when I'm finished, I'll wash my hands with soap. I can't imagine that can do any damage, and it might not do anything at all, but give me the peace of mind. The only problem I think... Um, with resin is there's not a lot in terms of studies been done in terms of long-term effect long-term effects 
on what it can do to your skin, what happens if you inhale too many of the fumes. So people just like to err on the side of caution. And I, look, I would argue that it's it's never a bad thing to err on the side of caution and wear gloves, try not to spend too much time near those smells or, or those liquids. Arguably, it's it's good not to touch the resin. You can tell reasonably quickly if it starts to irritate your skin, which it can and qu- can quite easily. Mm, yeah, you've you've sucked me in, and then all this warning stuff. I'm glad you said that because it's it's more to consider, more to think about. So I've already bought my printer. I bought a resin one because I I was looking into it, and I want to print models essentially that I can paint up, and that was the best choice for me. But I just want to go through the difference because you mentioned FDM and resin printers. So I want to see if a person can only buy one and they choose one, uh, what they can do with it and what they can't do with it. So what I'm going to do here is I'll get Jacob to talk about FDM a little bit, and then I'll get Andreas to talk about the resin printer. So so Jacob, can you just uh, talk up the FDM printer and what what sort of uh, uses our our listeners could have if they purchase one of these? Yeah, well, FDM printers are great. The main thing that an FDM has over a resin printer is it can print big things. So uh, my printer's got a I think it's thirty centimeter by thirty centimeter build plate, uh, which is means that I can do big pieces of terrain and I can really put a lot on it. Um, and print off a whole table's worth of terrain really quickly. Um, also, I can do large models. Like I'm printing some Imperial Guard tanks at the moment, and or, sorry, not Imperial Guard tanks. Um, and that's where the, the FDM printers are great. Now, where they struggle is when it comes to details, but if you're doing big picture things, that's... Or, if you want to do terrain and big items, you go FDM. So could you try to do small items on it, or is it just going to going to not work out at all and make Ooh. you frustrated? I've given it a shot, and I looked at all the YouTube videos for it, and I think it was one 15-hour print for a, a slightly larger than Space Marine-sized model, uh, and it really didn't look good. If you were doing it just as a game piece and you didn't care about having nice models, you could do it. Um, but if you're going to do anything with models, I think that's uh, going to be Andreas talking about the resin printers. Yeah, that makes sense. Is the FDM the one that gives you all those like staircase lines in the model? So when you when you receive it, it looks a little bit bumpy if you go close? Yeah, exactly. You can definitely see the ribbing of each layer on an FDM printer, um, which is why it's important for big things. Because on a, on a big model, that's not very apparent. On a small model, it's really apparent. And there are some things that you can do to mitigate that. There's actually some models that I have FDM printed and then Using filler primers and a bit of sandpaper, you cannot tell that they're 3D printed at all. But it is a bit more work, and that kind of does obscure some details. But if you really want to put the effort in, you can hide them. On a big terrain piece, you can barely tell them. I find that sometimes um, filing or sandpapering back those lines can get rid of some of that effect. Yeah, absolutely. So you can work with it and you can get some detail, but basically, Jacob, it sounds like you're advocating the FDM printer if you want to print big things, like I would just assume terrain and buildings and items like that, big vehicles, you said. There's not a huge amount of those in Middle Earth, but I'm sure you could get some some monsters from the first age or something like that going. So that sounds like it. Um, I've noticed that for some of the local tournaments here, you've provided some amazing terrain, and one of it was this elf uh, treetop uh, village. So that was all done with um, with the FDM, I take it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that looked fantastic and it's very playable. It's quite strong, isn't it? We, we sort of played around with it and people were rough and it, it didn't didn't break at all. So are you confident with the strength of it? Yeah, 100%. Those files that were printed have these really thin branches up at the end, but FDM is, yeah, very, very durable. I'm happy just to chuck them in a box and pull them out whenever I use them. And I think I've seen some of those towers get knocked over and then I've seen people 
put them back up uh, while my back's turned. But yeah, they survive that and they're all totally fine. Yeah, that's really important because I know from experience with terrain, if, uh, people are rough with it and they don't mean to be, but they, they can be. So getting something that's sturdy is, is really important for that sort of stuff. So yeah, being able to just throw it in a box, being able to push it around, knock it over and then pick it up again, I think is that's a very positive experience. And they do look really good. And um, from, from probably gaming distance, so if you're standing at one side of the table, you can't tell that they've got any imperfections. But it's just when you zoom, like go really close to them, you can see them. But it's terrain. Every, everyone's terrain's got little imperfections. So... That sounds very good. So when you're using an FDM printer, you want to approach painting it with different techniques. Whenever I'm painting something that I've printed, I generally don't do any dry brushing. And I try to avoid washes because I find that those bring out the print lines a lot more. Um, Whereas if you avoid those, you can really hide them a lot better. So what do you do? Do you hit it with an airbrush or do you go for a big paintbrush? A big paintbrush for me. If you dab a lot on the model rather than dry brushing or or slabbing on, it can help a fair bit because you get more, more... even coverage overall if you just dab 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 with thick i'm not gonna say thick layers but consecutive layers uh, no that's fair enough that's um one of the effects we use when we're painting to, to build up some texture and to to get almost like a mottled effect if you, if you do that that dabbing stroke so that that i can imagine would work because it doesn't worry about detail it sort of gets that even spread whereas yeah dry brushing accentuates detail so that makes a lot of sense to me and the washes do as well they really bring out any detail which which is concerning if it's not not very nice detail. So yeah, but yours look fabulous. So just a big paintbrush. I like that. Okay, Andreas, can you talk about the resin printer now? Yes, certainly. So as Jacob was discussing, obviously big ticket items, fantastic for FDM. Resin printing takes a, a quite a different approach essentially. So if you're like me and you have a little bit of a case of OCD, you will certainly lean more towards resin printing if you if you could. Uh, but basically you're looking at precision printing for everything. So down to the minutest detail, you can sometimes print as low as one-tenth of a millimetre per layer, which means you're not really getting those those riveting lines you would notice so much with FDM um, overall. You can actually still print pieces of terrain on resin, but you're looking that you'll have to slice it up into many, many pieces, and overall you're looking at more print time. So, look, what you're looking at is... You're essentially going for, you're printing small minis, you're printing extra weapons, you're printing epic scale bits and pieces overall, as well as some slightly larger monster pieces. And that's what you're going to get best out of it. You'll get small details like your eyes, your teeth, toenails, whatever you can think of that you would see on a, on a small mini quite well. Into uh, Comparative to things you would find with Games Workshop, you can find that level of detail on 3D printing with the right file. Like like most things, it will depend on the quality of the file. You will have to look for something that, that's reasonably well made. Not every file is made equal. Some has better rendering than others. Some show more detail than others. It really depends. But overall, if you're looking for detail, if you're looking for something that will blend in nicely with your you know professionally made miniatures from you know, Games Workshop range or, or from other companies, then you're looking at a resin printer. I'm just going to jump in there. And Andreas, you said one-tenth of a millimetre. The the standard size is 0.05 millimetres, which is actually one-twentieth. And you can get down to one-fiftieth. But I find 0.05 is, you can't tell any difference between that and 0.02. Sorry, no, you are correct. I was, yeah, I was thinking of FDM printing once more. So, yeah, you can go even lower. Um, I typically print at 0.025 of a millimetre which Ooh. is, yeah, yeah, very small. So depends on what you're printing. For instance, at the moment, I'm going through and printing a hextile campaign-style map, 
which I would normally approach with FDM printing, but I wanted a little bit more detail and less riveting for this campaign campaign hex tile map. And at the moment, it's coming out quite nicely, and I'm printing at 0.05 uh, mils per layer, which is really not leaving much in terms of any sort of layering or riveting at all, which looks quite good overall. You can see a lot of detail. If you were comparing it to, say, you know, planetary uh, uh, planetary empires or, or mighty empires, I think it was, that Games Workshop had not too long ago, it's almost non-discernible. You can't really tell the difference in terms of quality, which is fantastic. It's interesting that you say that you do 0.025 because I never go below 0.05 anymore because the pixel resolution of the screen of most resin 3D printers at the moment, some of the new ones are getting better, um, but their resolution is 0.05 millimeters. So there's actually not any... From from my experience, there's no difference between the lower layer height and the 0.05 layer height because you're limited not just by the layer height but by the resolution of the screen as well. Yes, I, I'm going to concede half a point. Ge- generally, I would 100% agree with you, but I've actually tried a fair few different resins and I actually find that some resins will take better to a slightly lower resolution. You can notice a little bit of a difference. And look, in, in most cases, to the naked eye, it won't bother you. But sometimes you you can notice a little bit more of that refinement, and overall it just looks fantastic. But not with all. I agree, it's not noticeable for all kinds of resins. Mm, okay, and that look that sounds like it depends on your printer as well. So if if your printer, so that that screen we're talking about, if that can only print to a certain detail, then yeah, I can I can understand what Jacob's saying with that. But like I don't I don't entirely know the full process, so it's possible to to get some more detail there. But it sounds like Andreas, you're you're pretty similar to me in that I want to get as much detail as I absolutely possibly can because I'm going to bring it all out in the painting. So that that sounds like I'm, I'm pretty happy with my choice actually for the resin. I'm happy to do small things and I'm happy to get some really nice detail. And if I need some FDM, I'll just well, I'll give Jacob a call and say, make me some terrain, please. <laughs> we'll do some trades yeah. or something like that. I don't want to advocate for a civil war. You, you definitely can't go wrong with either. It just really depends on, on what your focus is for hobby. Mm. No, no. And... I think that's pretty important to know. It sounds like from a very basic level, if all you get out of this is if you want to go and make big terrain, get FDM, and if you want to do sort of model size things, bits, details, that sort of stuff, go for resin, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I think that uh, an FDM printer is like a saw, where a resin printer is like a scalpel. They both cut things, but they do them very differently. Yeah, perfect analogy. Well, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. Good. Okay, so I'm pretty confident with that. But one thing that I haven't really touched on very, very lightly, software. Obviously, the, the files are coming from my computer, and, and maybe I can download them, but I'm sure there's a process in the middle. So, Andreas, can you just talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, so first things first, I don't think we've actually discussed it. The kind of file you're looking to print with is typically called an STL file. You're not going to print straight from an STL file, but you will need an STL file to slice on, on a on a 3D printing software platform of some kind or another. So at the moment, and I don't think I don't think Jacob would be using this one so much. I'm using Prusa Slicer for a lot of my resin printing. I find that the supports work quite well on Prusa Slicer. It actually has an auto generate feature which will add in the supports for you rather than having to work manually. What I find a lot with software is that a firstly to get the basics out of the way, you upload the STL file that you've downloaded or created, you upload it into the slicer, 
you orient the model or scale up and down depending on what size and angle you want to print at, then you look at adding on support. So I typically auto-generate those supports through Prusa Slicer. And then what I do is I go into the manual editing, I add and remove supports depending on where I think it'll be hard to clean up or where I don't think there needs more supports or where I think it needs more. And then overall, look, I'll adjust depending on my you know success and failure rate, but I think it's pretty good software to be using for beginners. I have heard that there are some other good programs to use like Box, but I haven't dabbled too much in those. Are those softwares free software or are they ones that you pay for? So the one I'm using, Prusa Slicer, you can get for free. Um, it will work typically with a lot of Prusa printers, but it's geared toward, it's it's quite generic. You can use it for, for any kind of printer um, as long as they fit the format of an SL, SLA printer, which is a resin printer or an FDM printer, depending on its type. It's quite generic. You can you can kind of use it even if you have a, a very out there brand kind of printer, as long as you have the correct settings in there. I'm interested that you said Prusa Slicer. I think I'm going to get into that one because I've been using Cheetubox. And of all of the computer programs I have ever used, Cheetubox is my least favorite. <laughs> I, I, I've just, there's just not, like there's a lot of support for Cheetubox. Unfortunately, there's too much support, so you get conflicting you get conflicting messages and, and sort of help when you ask for help on those sorts of things. Unfortunately, when you're using 3D printer software, there's no right or wrong answer for everything that there is there. Sometimes it's just trial and error. When you ask for help on TutorBox, I found that you get so many different answers because there's so much support out there that you end up back at square one, which is, I guess I'll just try again. <laughs> so sometimes, look, it, it is a little bit better to just try something else. And, and play around with it. I've only heard good things about Prusa Slicer, and it's actually a friend of mine up here in Sydney, uh, Andrew Miller, just a shout-out name, who actually got me into 3D printing, and he's the one that recommended it to me. And, and look, whilst I've had my battles with it, because obviously I'm still learning even to this day, it's quite intuitive and, and reasonably easy to work with. It sounds like one that you want to try a few different bits of software to find the one that works for you. So that that's it's good to know that there's lots of ones out there. Do they all work on all printers to make the correct, I guess, file or, or whatever? So you're turning the STL into into a printing file. Uh, what's what's that process? Is it is it a different kind of file or is it still an STL? So I'll bring a model into Box and I'll add the supports. And then I'm going to export that model as another STL. And then I'm going to put it into my Photon Slicer, which is just a specific program which came uh, with the Photon. And then I'll just click Slice, and it's ready to go. I don't want to make it seem like this is actually that complicated, because it's it's quite simple, really. Um, I mean, there's a couple steps here and there. But anyone who's used a computer before can figure it out. Um, it's just, yeah, you have... Those two programs, send it through, and it works. Uh, adding to that, to anybody listening, of, of the many listeners we do have, please don't use us as a guide. That's a terrible idea. I would recommend watching a couple of YouTube videos, especially if you're going to go through a, a program you haven't tried before. <laughs> no, no, we, we know that. This is more just to get people thinking about it as much as anything because we, we assume, like with anything, that, that people go and do a bit more research themselves and, and this isn't all to it and there's manuals to read and there's YouTube videos to watch and there's trial and error and all that sort of stuff. But I think sometimes it's good. I'm sure the listeners are there painting their models or looking at something thinking, oh, I wish I had a, a bit of terrain for this or I wish I had an extra arm or a, a banner or something like that and, and maybe considering other options for getting that and... And moving on. So, yeah, definitely. No, that, but that answers my question, though, about the, the STLs. So, in theory, it would be possible to get someone who's already done the, the supports. So, just say, for example, Jacob had a, a bit of terrain or something like that, and I had a similar printer. Um, we could share that file, couldn't we, and, and use it if, if it's something he's designed? Yeah, quite easily. 
And one thing I, I might add in here is that FDM printers require a different program. Um, I use Cura for my FDM printer. Um, and generally it's as simple as putting the model in. I might rotate it here and there uh, and then hit slice and it's ready to go, plug it into the printer and hit start. You know, funny you mentioned that um, I definitely have used Cura before and it works quite well. It's quite quite simple to use, but Perusal Slicer actually also has an FDM setting. It depends on the printer you're using, but you can actually do both on there as well. Oh, interesting. I'm, I might look into getting Prusa Slicer. That being said, don't take my word for it. I haven't played around with the FDM one on Prusa. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Andreas is trying to sabotage Jacob's creations. It's good. A bit of competition is always good. <laughs> now, it's worth trying. I'm interested to see how you go with it, Jacob. Maybe you put it on your channel or something like that. Maybe one day we'll see you comparing the software because that's, that's something that does interest me. I'm, not, I'm sure there's other people who will be interested as well because I've, I've watch some of the 3D printing stuff. And honestly, talking through it's helped me out a lot, but a lot of it's focused on things that maybe aren't specific to what we're doing. So it's kind of nice to, to have that direct conversation about it, which is good. Okay, so that's the software. Can you tell me what goes wrong? Because people always talk about like printing failures and I hear that all the time and you're going to fail so much times and all this sort of stuff. So Jacob, can you start me out and just explain what that means and what's going on? Yeah, so I'll talk about the FDM failures and then maybe address you talk about the resin failures. Um, But generally on an FDM printer, there's a couple main ways that it fails. The first one is really not necessarily easy to fix, but it's easy to tell that it's gone wrong. And that's when your printer starts printing, um, but the plastic that it squeezes out doesn't actually stick to the bed. And if you just let it run, you end up with a big pile of noodles of um, of this plastic. The good thing about that is if you hit start and you sit there for a minute, you'll be able to tell whether it's stuck or it hasn't stuck. So you can just hit cancel straight away and then you're good to fix it. You'll just relevel the bed and that fixes it a lot of the time. Uh, another printer that happens a lot with FDM is it'll run out of filament halfway through and you won't realize. Now, a filament roll lasts for a pretty long time and... I'm not the best at keeping tabs on how much is left on the roll, and it's kind of hard to tell exactly. So sometimes I'll hit start on a printer, on a print, I'll come back in eight hours whenever it's done, and I'll see that this giant that I've printed has just been cut off at its ankles because we've run out of filament. Sorry, just add to that, Jacob, as well. Um, I think I might have something to input to help you with that. If you're a lot of um, filament that you're using on the spools, sometimes there's a there's a weight measurement on the actual spool holder itself. So you can tell how heavy, not the spool itself, the, the filament, sorry, but the spool is. So what you do is if you put the what's remaining on like a, a small kitchen scale or something, you can actually tell how much actual filament you have remaining in terms of weight. And then Cura can tell you how much it thinks a print will take to print. So it'll tell you, that, oh, you might need 400 grams or, or something of that ilk. And if you weight it and you have a bit over that much minus, you know, the weight of the spool itself, you should be sweet most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the two main ways that I find it fails, but there is an infinite number of other ways it can fail. I don't want to scare people off um, off printing, but I've had a lot of times with my print where I've had 10 prints in a row that have failed and I haven't been able to figure it out for a while until I've made a post in Facebook and, and changed a few things. Um, but from my experience, most of the problems that you have, even if it's halfway through the print, come from the level of the bed. So it's important to get that perfectly flat. Okay. And I assume that that's you would have to put the machine on, on a space or the location. You'd have to, to get out the spirit levels or something like that, would you, to, to get it exactly right? Or has it got a function where it can test it itself? Oh, Jeremy, I'm sorry, but you've just been – you've entered one of the noob memes <laughs> of, of printing. Oh, excellent. <laughs> 
So the all that matters is that the bed is level in regards to the nozzle itself, not necessarily the table. So if I put my printer upside down, as long as the bed's level with that nozzle, it's still going to work. Um, so what it is on my printer, I know that most printers uh, that are in the wargaming space uh, just have a bed and there's a screw on each corner and you got to have a little bit of paper and you put the nozzle right on the bed and then you make sure the paper can slide in and out. And if it doesn't, well, you twist the screws a little bit and you go around each corner and then in the middle and adjusting the screws every time. And that gets you to, to being level. It's never going to be perfect, um, but you get to a usable point. Fantastic, fantastic! Oh, good. I'm glad I could be be meme material as well. I'm very yes. into the memes at the moment. So, so yes, if you can make one of of Jeremy from the Green Dragon podcast doing stupid things, that will be fine. I'm happy with that. Yep, perfect. <laughs> good. No, that that's so. Once again, good to know. This is all the mistakes that you guys have made before that I'm potentially going to make different ones. But at least I won't make the same ones. Or if I do, I can say I'm an idiot. I should have listened to you guys. Yep, exactly. And if you make mistakes and you're having issues, you can send us a message, and we'll pretend like we know what went wrong. You can blame Jacob, of course, though. <laughs> I definitely will. I definitely will. So that's the problems. The main problems with FDM. So you, it sounds like it's it's pretty much nozzle and and level and and material related stuff. So that none of that sounds catastrophic. Does it ever damage the machine? Any of that stuff, Jacob, or is it pretty safe? I, you'd have to really mess up to damage the machine. Uh, generally, the worst case scenario is you waste a bit of plastic, um, which isn't the end of the world. One other thing that I want to add in here is um, one issue that a lot of people get that the print still works, but they get little strings in between everything. So it's like when you use a hot glue gun and those strings go everywhere. It's like that, but all over the model. Uh, And that's, you still get the model, but there's a lot more cleanup work. Um, And that's generally because of the temperature of your nozzle. Sometimes if it's too hot or too cool or um, any combination of, a lot of factors like the quality of the, the plastic, it just won't clearly come out. So it's just about adjusting your heats a little bit and you'll fix that most of the time. Okay, that's that's all fair enough, I guess. That, that makes the makes sense to me. So that's probably not as scary of all the, the failing I was talking about, but it does sound like there's, there's help online if we need it. Andreas, the resin, you said resin is messy. What kind of failures do you get with the resin? Resin can yield some really amazing results overall. Sadly... On the converse side, the list of possible failures and things that could go wrong is also a lot more extensive. And I I think Jake will agree, it's a much more steep learning curve overall. So, look, leveling the bed is is first and foremost the most important part of any kind of printing, FDM versus resin printing. You always have to level the bed in in the most stable and flat manner possible. So that's usually your, your major issue. If you've got something going wrong, you can tell pretty quickly whether it's just you haven't leveled the bed or or slightly off angle or anything like that. Unfortunately, when it comes to resin printing, you can find that there are many, 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 many more issues such as that that's that phone screen film that's at the bottom, which we call the FEP film, may not be tight enough. It may be too tight. The resin may be sticking to that film rather than sticking to the resin, um, sorry, to the build plate, which can be catastrophic because you won't know straight away and you wait for a whole print to be done and then suddenly you find it's all stuck to the FEP film, which re- literally and, and usually results in, in defamations, mutations on your model. Sometimes it ends up being one big pile of gloop that's solidified because of the curing process. Look, mm-hmm. it can vary, but sometimes you, you'll get issues with simply the file isn't uh, suited for 3D printing. Sometimes there's surfaces that can be missing or supports don't, supports don't print properly or they snap whilst it's printing. So your, your plate may be level, but your supports 
start, won't be able to hold up the volume of print that you're dealing with. So that's when things like, you know, orienting your model and ensuring you have enough supports uh, really comes into play in, in a major helping way. I'm interested that you, you said that resin has a steeper learning curve because I've actually had the opposite experience. I've found the resin printer to be pretty easy, generally just stick it in and it works most of the time. Uh, whereas the FDM printer, I've spent a lot more time troubleshooting the bed leveling and all that stuff. I would argue that you can play around with the with the FDM printer a lot more to get the right settings that will print best for you. But I, I would I would argue also that with resin printing, you're much more likely to get failures overall, even if it is not as difficult to learn. Mm, okay. Yeah, interesting. I think I've had a different experience. Mm. Yeah, well, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Good, 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 good fight. <laughs> No, that, that, All right. When I see you at the next tournament, we'll throw down. I don't think we've... Have we ever thrown down? I'm not even sure at this point. We, <laughs> it's been so long since I played a game. Years ago. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but um, oh, I've been brought to tears <laughs> with a resin printer sometimes, and I think to myself, how? How could this possibly get any worse? Look, it's one of those things where trial and error is your best friend. Trying not to waste as much resin as possible can really help because you will go through a lot of resin, which I'll add is fairly fairly expensive in comparison to PLA, which is the plastic that FDM uses overall. And look, it can get quite messy, especially if you have more failures. It's it's not pleasant overall. The more failures you have with resin, it feels proportionately more devastating. I would I would argue than FDM printing because you can kind of see the failures straight away with FDM printing because it's it's building from a, the the plate upwards whereas resin printing you have to kind of sink into the resin and then you 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 build on on the converse essentially. So the the resin printer prints it upside down, doesn't it? So you pretty much get the model, it lifts it up, and it, it appears on the build plate, but it's upside down. Is that right? Correct. Um, so you take your while to notice that as well, but how does it stick to the build plate? Is that a dumb question? Um, no, no, it's not a dumb question at all. So if you level your build plate and your build, well, a couple of reasons really, but if you level your build plate and it's not it's not stable or level onto the FEP film when it starts printing, sometimes the resin that, that's curing on those first couple of layers, it will it will be too stuck to the FEP film to be pulled off by the adhesion of the actual build plate. So you've really got to look out for the first couple of layers. What will typically happen is when you're printing those first few layers, you will hear like a thunk, and that's the sound of the build plate actually pulling at the FEP film and taking off that resin, those layers. If you can hear that, typically it means that everything's going okay. I actually had an instance where I first started hearing that and I thought I was breaking my printer. <laughs> but it turns out that that's actually the noise you're looking for most. So if you can hear those noises and you can hear that it's pulling out the FEP film, it generally means that you've got enough adhesion on the build plate, which is which is good. And I might add one thing, because that's the, I think 99% of my failures on a resin printer have been that. But the good thing is that doesn't actually waste any material or a tiny, tiny amount, because it ends up just being one super thick layer on, on the bottom of the print bed, uh, which, you know, accounts to almost no material. So failure doesn't cost you anything except for time. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely less less um, material intensive, but more time intensive, especially when I would I would say that you go into a little bit more prep to level the, the plate of a resin printer than you would FDM, just because you can notice a failure a bit more, bit 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 worse overall on a resin printer than you would on FDM. Mm, yeah. 
Okay, yep. So that that's that thing. The first thing you said out of the box of it was to how to put the plate on, and it basically said put a put some paper underneath it and stick it on, and then then tighten it up. That's the leveling process, and that's the one they want to get right. I don't want to skip on that at all. There's actually um there's there's a fair few YouTube videos out there. Depending on which printers you use, they're, they're slightly different formats, but the concepts are pretty much the same. On most printers, you, you're popping a, a thin layer of paper underneath either your nozzle or the build plate for a, for a resin printer, and you're making sure it, it's when you when you level in it, you're essentially making sure that the the paper will slide out ever so slightly, but you can't slide it back in. There's enough tension there that that it's, it gives a tiny tiny bit, but it's firm enough that you can tell the resin will be compressed or, or the or the filament from the nozzle will come out straight onto the build plate. Oh, handy to know. This is oh, this is good. I'm excited about this. When I get my resin, that's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna only make one mistake or three mistakes or twenty mistakes, but eventually I'm gonna get there. Uh, would you recommend I start with something really small to start with, or simple, or just like a single model to try it out, or is it just just go in and and try something else? What do we think? Uh, I just built in and you know printed off the coolest model I could find on my first print. Um, I wouldn't recommend that, but <laughs> if you're excited about it, it works out. It's good. One of the good things about um, the Photon printer, which is a, a particular brand, if anyone's listening by Anycubic, uh, that Jeremy's just got, is that it actually comes with a file already on the USB that's supplied with the printer. It's a it's a test file of sorts called I think it's a I think it's called the Photon Cube, and essentially it'll test it'll, it'll test all portions of the LCD screen to make sure that it's printing correctly on the first go. So that's a good place to start. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely do that. That actually looks cool as well. My son was looking at the picture of that and and wanted it, of course. Uh, in terms of afterwards, so when I pull the the resin stuff out, what's what's it like? Is it does it feel like a resin model, like a like a forgeord model, or is it is it really tough resin? Is it brittle? Is it uh, well, how do we go there? When it comes out, it's going to be well. Firstly, it's going to be wet with liquid resin, um, and it's generally relatively soft and pliable. Um, and then after you wash it off, when you put it into the sun that's what hardens it up. And if you leave it out in the sun for too long, it becomes, you know, brittle. Um, but if you bring it in after the right amount of time, then it's, uh, yeah, wouldn't feel like a Forge World model. It's definitely a bit more brittle still, but, you know, not too different. I, I would argue it, it's probably a little bit more durable than, than your typical fine cast model, but not quite as, as solidified as your resin cast. Okay, so somewhere between the the Games Workshop and the Forge World resin. Is it, does it take paint well? Or do you have to like scrub it or anything like that? Does it just, you just hit it with an undercoat and then paint? That's what I've done. Yeah, as, as long as you're following the, the cleanup process um, for taking off the residual resin and, and make sure, making sure it cures properly in the sun or with a UV lamp, you shouldn't have any issue putting a primer straight on or even putting a brush straight on. It should be quite, quite adhesive to the paint. And and does it shatter if you if you drop it, or does it just sort of snap off at a at a weak point? Uh, generally, when it breaks, it will snap. But you know, they're not that they're relatively durable. So I've I've dropped models here and there, and they're totally fine. Yeah, when the cure, when the resin is cured and dried, it, it's it's quite light typically. So you find if you drop it, you're not getting too much force behind that drop, and you should be okay generally. It, it's quite sad when you're cleaning up a, a resin print. And you're clipping off the supports, and you accidentally clip off part of the model. That that's a bit sad. <laughs> but other than that, you're generally going to be okay as long as you're, you know, not a five year old kind of temperament with your models. Oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll improve on that one then. So, <laughs> it depends on whether I'm winning or losing. If I'm a five year old, <laughs> yeah. I think we're all a bit like that, Jacob. That's that's that gets us all. It's the the gaming syndrome, isn't it? We can uh, 
We can do that. No, that, that's good to know because I know that in gaming, if I'm using it for, say, say a model, I've made a nice shield that I've designed or whatever and put it on, my models do get knocked over a fair bit and they break. And snapping, I don't mind because you can just glue it back on. It's when it shatters, and I've had resins that shatter before, and good luck ever getting that back together because it's just in so many small parts. So that that's good to know. It's almost more like a, yeah, like a like a Games Workshop fine cast or, or resin rather than that, that brittle resin that, that, that comes into little glass shards. Speaking of um, speaking of shattering, if you one thing to look out for, if you cure not cure it, sorry, if you're cleaning up with isopropyl alcohol and you leave it in there too long or you leave it exposed for too long, it can actually weaken the integrity of resin. So just keep that in mind. You're, you're only briefly cleaning and then washing off and then curing essentially. I'll definitely keep that in mind. Okay, okay. So I'm pretty confident of that now. You both have printed for a wide variety of games. What specifically for Middle Earth have you done, Jacob? Can we start with you? Oh, I'm about to disappoint you here, Jeremy. I've only done little t- pieces of trains, the crates and barrels and chests that I've designed, and it's pretty hard to find good Middle-Earth suitable models. I found some uh, alternative warriors of Arnor, which are nice, but they have swords instead of spears. So they're not too helpful for me. The, most, uh, the main Lord of the Rings stuff that I've done is terrain on my FDM printer which there is plenty of because you can use any generic fantasy terrain and it fits perfectly into Lord of the Rings. Okay, so that that's good to know. So in terms of models and bits and that sort of stuff, there's not a lot coming out yet. I've noticed there's um, a Kickstarter recently that, I, that I've that i backed and I haven't seen the files yet, which it looked like generic medieval knights and things that could be used for fiefdoms or could be used for like other things like generic, like second age human warriors, which looked pretty good. But maybe it's a watch your space type thing. Uh, Andreas, mm. what have what have you done for for Middle Earth? So Middle Earth, similar sort of ilk to Jacob, where you find that there's a reasonable amount of terrain that that's either dedicated to Middle Earth or Tolkien sort of style esque um, sort of physiology, or there's fantasy terrain that's similar enough they can use it, like you know elven tree houses and things like that. What I found I've done is I've printed a few Moria pillars. Um, I, if you've actually looked on my Instagram recently, I've actually printed an elven throne that's not actually designed for Middle-earth, but um, scales quite nicely next to a, a, a Thranduil model, so I've actually printed that up recently as well. There's a range of things you can do that are quite nifty. For instance, if you're looking to do a Rohan army with all throwing spears, which, by the way, you should always take all throwing spears, <laughs> Yes, you can <laughs> you can find a couple of files out there where it's just just the spears themselves in different sizes and scales. So if you're looking for, you know, a whole Royal Guard army, it's it's not it's not impossible to, you know, print a whole bunch of spears and convert up some warriors to, if you're looking to save on cost or or just to give your normal warriors spears instead of swords or axes. Things like that can be quite helpful. One of the things I found that was quite um quite impressive was somebody designed the head of a um of an Easterling was it Halbert or Pike, sorry, Pike. So you can um quite easily convert other Easterlings to have a pike as well, and it'll fit in right at home with the other pikes because it looks looks almost identical. Another thing that I've done for Middle Earth is I've digitally designed and then printed some fancy bases, which look really, really nice. Ooh, Ooh that sounds good. A couple of things as well, like um, Might, Will, Fate, and Wound Trackers. They're also quite handy, quite easily designed, If you even if you have basic skills with sculpting online. Mm, yeah, and there's, there's quite a few companies out there. I know uh, Chris does locally does some of those, but I know that internationally as well, there's people who've done those. And, and yeah, gaming aids are a good idea as well. I really like the idea of weapons. So I could, in theory, find some like medieval flails and then like pay an extra point to upgrade all my orcs to have flails. That would be amazing. 
One hundred percent. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a market there for sort of after aftermarket weapons where you can equip an army a way you wouldn't have previously been able to simply because you know you don't have enough of this sword or enough of that shield, for instance. Yeah, that that's definitely something that I'll look into. Yeah, shields like shields. Are, I don't even care if they don't look like the the movie ones, but sometimes I want like elves or or men to be noticeably different. So the idea of a, a more historic shield or, or something like that, I think, would appeal to me as well. So. That that's definitely an option. In terms of models, I also like I've I've been looking at my ten mil Warmaster um, Battle of Five Armies game, and it's it's using the Warmaster rules, and that used like ten mil models. So they're really tiny models. They're between like half a centimeter and a centimeter high, and there's a huge amount on a base. Something like that would that be pretty easy to print on my resin printer for like if I wanted to do some extra wags or bats and things. Yeah, absolutely. I recently did a full diorama in 15 millimeter scale, and I was able to fit 28 um, little soldiers on the build plate at once. So I managed to smash out a huge horde super quickly. Um, and I've also done epic 40k armies. I did those on my FDM printer, and they worked pretty well. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, so small scale, yeah, sounds like a good idea, because I... Like I, at some point, I wouldn't mind getting back into think games like War of the Ring, but I don't want to do it at twenty-eight mil scale because you just insane amount of models to print, and I, I want the big battlefield. So that might be an option as well to to get some some proxies at that size and get some I don't know some Norman knights or whatever, and just print them at at ten mil scale. The only thing I would um I would say to look out for for that is just be careful where you place the supports on really small scale models because sometimes the support will obscure some detail and if it's such a small model it can be a substantial amount of detail. So my thought was that most of the supports I would go like essentially coming down as little spear shafts because those models they usually have like quite a like a bit of chunk as a base. So I imagine that would just go in the build plate and the models themselves are really small so I would think that keeping it that that dimensions would probably be better than than flipping up on the side because then it'll cause all kinds of problems because it's all it's basically a whole bunch of vertical lines feet spears that sort of stuff and just supporting along those ones i would imagine but generally um, speaking you in theory yes perfectly possible the only problem is that if you print straight up from those bases upwards without supports it can cause some warping on those bases or it can prove difficult to remove from the plate that's just my experience, but you look, you can do both. I'm going to jump in there because I've been printing a lot of bases recently. Um, and the, if you just use a razor blade, they'll pop straight off super easily. Um, occasionally you get a little lip around the rim of a base, which is totally fine for just gaming pieces. But because I was casting these models, I needed them to be perfect. So I just added a little bit of resin underneath it and that worked perfectly fine to sort that out. Yeah, okay, so you can clean it up if you've got a bit of a problem there. I'm pretty excited about it because I think it opens up a lot of options that we wouldn't normally have. And I know that you've been in, in lockdown a little bit, Andreas, but Jacob and I are definitely stuck because we're in Melbourne at the moment, so we're stuck at home. So I really want to get this 3D printing going so I don't have to, to get outside deliveries for models and things like that new. I can try them out. And I'm, I'm aware that some of it's going to be an absolute failure and some of it's going to be an experiment, but I'm hoping that eventually I'll get, get good enough to, to, to get some really good stuff. Andreas, I, I don't know about you. I've, I've talked to Jacob before about this. Have you, Andreas, had any go at sculpting your own models or sculpting your own terrain or anything like that? Yeah, so I actually have had a fair bit of, a fair bit of an early go with it when I first started printing. And I, I started using a really basic um, web browser program called Tinkercad. And it, it deals uh, typically with, with basic dimensions, basic shapes, and you can kind of mold them from there. They're not too complex. So that's a good way to start for people 
who don't have any or, or much experience with sculpting overall. Um, what I've done is I've actually moved into learning some ZBrush, which is, I have to be honest, quite quite a complex layout when you first look at it. It can be quite daunting. But what I've done is I've actually um, gone and, and purchased and downloaded some some learning courses on it from places like Domestica, which is a which is essentially a learning platform, and there's one other as well, which if it comes to my mind, I'll mention later. But essentially, if you can get get some YouTube videos, tutorials, or some lessons in, look, you can you can get a fair bit better. But overall, practice is what's going to what's really going to improve the sculpting skills. I am looking to try and add in um, some sculpts of my own design for things that in the game that don't exist. Um, not warbats in the Lord of the Rings sense, but maybe in a generic sense. <laughs> mm, um, you can make bats, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So, look, I'm, I'm looking to fill the gap for, for our hobby, which our system seems to suffer from a lot, which is we don't have models for profiles that are out there. So definitely an eyesore when it comes to things like, you know, those war bats in the Gundabad list. So that's one of the things I'm looking to tackle soon once I get a little bit better. I am looking to incorporate a, a, ta- a drawing tablet to see if that will help me more naturally sculpt. But we'll see how things go. I'm hoping to progress quite quickly, along with Jacob. Maybe a bit, a little bit of a competition. I'll get the warbats out first. You, get the <laughs> you know, knowing my luck, you probably will. But um, just putting it out there, I'll probably do it better. Ooh, I can't wait. There's going to be lots of options for warbats. This is fantastic. Yeah, no, I think that would be really good to be able to to do that. And I'm sure you'd have a market for that for people doing that. If you're doing stuff that's that's non IP infringing sort of stuff like like bats and things, absolutely. I would love someone to be able to sculpt some banners that could possibly work for a certain uh pale orcs uh campsite. <laughs> that would be amazing. We also need a, a rather large piece of terrain with uh three large banners on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, a horn and a horn, yeah. Just it's a really long horn with two prongs on the end. <laughs> I think I've seen something similar to that in a movie, but mm, I don't think so. Uh, it wasn't a very good movie, don't worry. <laughs> okay. It'd be also good to have things just like um, like generic statues and things like that. I know that, that a lot of the, the Middle-earth statues are, are pretty like iconic, that sort of medieval style with the, the kings and that. So I imagine that, that there'll be some market for that sort of stuff. And I think as people will just get better at it, there'll be more and more options. So it's exciting time for for us as gamers to be able to go through this. I wonder if um, something like Games Workshop would ever end up selling 3D files because I feel like it's um, it's definitely something there for an extra revenue stream. Mm. See, that, that's, a, that's a point of contention for me. I, I agree that there is room to expand there, but I believe one of Games Workshop's strengths is that they keep everything behind closed doors. And whilst they would gain short-term revenue gain from releasing things like files and, and releasing a more open platform to the public, I think that would be less of a long-term game for Games Workshop, which I think is not really the way they approach things. Look, that's just my opinion. And and I think from what I understand, they, they seem to be pretty strict on the whole 3D printing aftermarket and free files sort of arena. But that could change in the near future where 3D printing really, really comes close or even identical to the kind of quality you're looking at with Games Workshop. And to just let viewers and listeners know, you look, you're not going to get exactly the same detail as Games Workshop's finest sculpts or plastic sculpts right off the bat. Sometimes it can be quite hard to get that kind of precision. But look, the more you practice that printing, if you're going to approach it, the closer you'll get. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm just... 
I'm really interesting about the future of this because it feels like something that in the last five years has just popped up out of nowhere. And I know if you look back in the, the history of it, people have been using it in other industries for quite a bit. But it's I know that the like Games Workshop's doing the the ZBrush sculpting, I believe. So it sounds good that other people can have access to it. And look, I I believe that the more people making stuff, the better it's going to be, and the more things are available. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So maybe some other people would be nervous about it. And I totally understand Games Workshop not wanting to share files because I'm sure that people can reverse engineer them and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, as long as people are making their own stuff, I think it's going to be a a more diverse and and rich background for all of us. And Andreas got a chance to talk about ZBrush, so I'm going to jump in here to talk about Blender. Blender is a totally free software, and there's thousands of hours of tutorials on on how to use it out there. Um, so everything you can do with Blender, totally free, um, and it can sculpt, in my opinion, just as well as ZBrush, um, but I don't have as much experience with, with ZBrush. Yeah, just adding to what Jake was saying, um, for those who heard, heard me talk about ZBrush, I will say it is a subscription-based um, software. So you were looking at the first, I think it's 60 odd days you can get for free, but afterwards it, it is, it is on the pricier side. You're looking for, I, I think, I think it's almost $49, but I'll, I'll double check that just to be sure, um, per month, which can add up. Obviously, if you're looking at sculpting professionally, it's a cost that can be negligible, but yeah, Jacob's definitely got a, a really good alternative that can produce very similar results. Blender is quite good. Are they a similar interface? Have, do you know, or is it, um, like, so the skills transferable? Yeah, yeah, so the, the skills of sculpting, it's interesting because I've heard a lot of physical sculptors who have taken jump into digital sculpting saying that their physical sculpting has helped them immensely and they can kind of jump straight in and their first models are just like their, their hand-sculpted models. But the interface between Blender and ZBrush is pretty much the same in terms of sculpting, but Blender has a whole bunch of other things that it can do. So you can do movie special effects and video editing in Blender as well. There's just a lot more options in it. Um, so it's not as specifically sculpting-based, um, but more everything digital in terms of effects and modeling and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a bit more of a, a catch-all type software, which probably sounds like it's something that, that either one of them, if you if you learned how to use them, you'd have some skills would be useful in other industries as well. So that that's always handy when, when your wargaming hobby goes and maybe takes you to other places. Yeah, I would just, just adding one last point to that, I would say ZBrush has... a a fair few more very specialized tools. So if you're working in a professional sense, ZBrush can give you some some tools that are very specific to certain tasks. Not that I've had the skill <laughs> to play around with those tools just yet. But um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a professional platform more, more than it is just a creative platform. And those, those extra brushes are, yeah, they're great if you're a professional, but I, as someone who's done, you know, many, many weeks of sculpting on Blender now, I used three of the brushes 99% of the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's, there's the main ones you'll use all the time, and you can adjust the scale for them, so you can use them for big or small. No difference in yeah. a lot of cases. That actually sounds a lot like like real like physical sculpting as well, where you have a couple of tools you use all the time for almost everything, and then, yeah, you can get some very specialized stuff, but for most of us, just the, the couple that we've got, we use. So, oh, that makes sense. I'm... I'm also keen to try that out. This is this is very exciting. I hope the, the listeners have got something out of this. I definitely have. So if they haven't got anything out of it, too bad, because this was definitely mm-hmm. for me. So thank you both for coming on. Do we have anything else to add, Jacob? Um, I think my final note would be we might have made 3D printing seem relatively scary and like there's a lot to know. 
Um, but really, if you get a printer, none of it's particularly complicated. Andreas and I are just, you know, regular guys who are into the hobby and picked up a 3D printer and figured it out. So if you're thinking about it and you're worried about it being too scary, it's not get into it. It's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, just adding to that as well, my major point of advice for people listening, yes, we do sound like negative Nancys <laughs> um, half the time. It's only because we've had so many different experiences with our printers. What I would say is best point of advice don't be afraid to ask for help. There are loads of pages on Facebook. There are loads of tutorials available on YouTube. There's a bunch of stuff you can look at that will support you in any kind of 3D printing journey, whether you're printing for wargaming, whether you're printing just for personal use on something else altogether. Look, there is something for everyone. If you're afraid, always ask. And and look, even ask one of ourselves. We may not be perfect, but if you're ever in in a pickle and you need some help, we can direct you in in the way that you may need to go. And... I'm every single day, I'm in multiple 3D printing forums, and every single day I see someone posting, what 3D printer should I get as my first one? And if you want to go FDM, go for an Ender 3 or an Ender 5. And if you want to go for a resin printer, get an Alugu Mars or an Anycubic Photon. Yeah, you can't go wrong with either of those. It, it, look, most 3D printers, similar value if you go through the official brand channels. Yeah, I'm actually I'm really happy with the value I got for, for, for my one because they've gone down a whole lot. Like when I first looked into them years and years ago, we we're looking at thousands of dollars for for an entry level printer and now I've got one for like I've got the very, very base model. So I've got the uh any cubic photon zero, I believe it is. So it's the smallest base printing one. It's gonna be the probably slower than the other ones, but for entry level I just wanted something I could start up with and see if it was for me. So I was really happy with the price for it. It didn't seem like a huge investment compared to some of the other tools that I've bought. Like it's probably end up being cheaper than my my airbrush and that sort of stuff. So very excited to give it a try. The only the only thing I would say with a cheaper printer is you may need a touch more practice to get the results you want. But at the end of the day, if you're printing, you know, X however many miniatures, you'll get the value of that back. I was thinking just before about that the um the campaign stuff those little map tiles that i know games actually produced a couple sets years and years and years ago but i might have to look up for those as well because it sounds like that could be really cool for middle earth so oh, i'll send them your way oh, fa- oh fa- fantastic yeah i would love to give those uh, those a try and and try yeah because just it's such a cool way to to represent things so oh i've just got so many ideas for it so thank you both for coming on i've, I've got a lot out of this so if the listeners do fantastic as well and and i'm excited to, to get some stuff printed Awesome. Well, good luck with it, Jeremy. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeremy, and good luck as well. Yeah, I'll post up lots of pictures on the the Green Dragon page of what I do and and what I come up with. Oh, it's going to be fun. Perfect. Yeah. Well, that's all, listeners, for this one. An episode shorter than some of our recent ones, but I think it's straight to the point and lots of information there. So thank you for listening, and remember, Traps Win Games. Traps Win Games. Traps Win Games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle-Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast, or... On our email, the Green Dragon Podcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.